0: All right, you got us up going Morgan. Let me fix this thing here real quick. Thankfully, the wind didn't blow us away Friday. The hides of March. Well, we get some weather around here sometimes, but a few trees down and all that other stuff. How'd you like to live in Alabama? Ohio and Kentucky and Tornado Alley. Not for me. Well, starting a new lesson today, and it'll take me a few weeks, and today I'll just barely be scratching the surface. And I hope that you'll be able to hear what I have to say, For, because for the last few weeks I've really struggled where to go, just in prayer. I knew we were in King of Kings and stuff like that, and I you know, just what's next, what's next, and was really... I guess maybe now that now that you look back, maybe looking in the right in the wrong spot. But I'm calling this "freedom from the tyranny of circumstances." That's a long title. The tyranny of circumstances, freedom. And I'm going to read. Of course, I got two Bibles here, but um, we'll start in Philippians chapter one, verse twelve. And I want to read down through verse 26, and then we'll go back and talk about it. But I'm reading this out of the NAS, and there's kind of a reason, but then I want to go back to the King James, okay? So Morgan will have it up there in King James, maybe? Philippians, is it up there? All right. All right, this is the New American Standard. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren trusted in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of the selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause my distress in my imprisonment. Then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my own body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live as Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for, you, for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Now that's a long reading. So again, I couldn't really see it, but I knew, well, you know, like last week, we were prepared, we were prepared prepare by people. And Paul is going through this right there with the Philippian church. Now, a lot of people are waiting on the next move of God, right? You've heard it, the next, the next big thing. And we got to, you know, I always think we just, we just have to be honest. I mean, does the church seem powerless, Seems so lost? I mean, um, looks like the world's falling apart around us. I mean, you know, we got to be honest about it. I mean, we can go and we can act like these things aren't happening, but they, but they really are happening. And like I told you, I've been looking for answers, where to go, what, you know, I thought, my goodness, uh, these times seem so strange. They do, but, you know, nothing new under the sun. And You know, you can go into scriptures and find these same things going on again. And it's, and it's for instructions. It's for encouragement. It's for adjustment. It's for all of these things. So I can go back and look how they got through it. And that's why we have the scriptures. What, what was going on then? Because the people always look at the times they're in as being the worst times. You know, this is almost it. Well, to them people it was too. Uh, you know, I, I talk to people. What does the church need? You know, everybody comes at you. Well, the church needs this. The church needs that. The, the, you know. They need more warfare. I mean, my God, how much warfare has, has the church been in? They need to be more spirit-filled. Have you ever heard this one? They need to be more. You already completed him. You, you've already got as much Jesus, as much Holy Spirit as you can contain. Your Your cup runneth over. I mean, is that what we need? I mean... More revivals, you know, we need to revival, we get more revivals. Well, guys, they had all them revivals down the road last week, or last year. I, revival after revival went on. Has anything changed? Anything gotten better? Still going on, right? More casting out devils, I mean, come on. Has the devil already been defeated? So, So what is it here? More programs, more... Bigger buildings, better bands, better, more programs. Is that, is that what we need? Well, we know there's a lack. We know there, there's something ain't right. We're not satisfied with, the, with the, you know, the way things are. Why, why is it that people are leaving the churches in droves in, in America? Atheism is a faster growing religion than Christianity. At one time, we were, we were called a, a Christian nation founded on those very principles and now we're one of the most evil nations that is in the world. And it's hard for Americans to see that because, you know, Americans have this mindset of everything we do is right. Well, it's not. And, you know, i to call it what it is. It's, it's terrible. It's atrocious, the things that are going on. Uh, you know, i got to ask, are we gaining ground? Are we losing ground? Are we advancing? I mean, you know, every once in a while, you know, the the general, he has to get a report of of how the warfare is going. Is he losing ground? Does he have to retreat? You know? I mean, you think about all, think think about this. I'm just throwing this out there. Uh, America lays claim to Azusa Street. You know what Azusa Street is? Pouring out of the Holy Spirit, so to speak. Speaking in tongues and all these great miracles of God. This great move of God. i got to ask, is the country better today because of it? They just had to pass a law in Florida that they wouldn't teach five-year-olds to be gay. So is the country better because of it? I mean, Friday, a guy wins the national championship swimming against women. I mean, y'all see, it all. I mean, so is our country better for it, for all of this stuff that, that is, I mean, so I, you, you have to look, have we made progress? I mean, look, is school better now than when you went to school? I bet uh, most of you guys, when you went to school, except the youngs over the you probably said the Pledge of Allegiance. You, you stood and there was some patriotism being taught. Some some history being taught. So what is it now? I mean, and I bet when the teacher called your name, you said yes, ma'am, or yes, sir, or 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 you didn't, and you wouldn't dare roll your eyes at them. But here we got bigger churches, and we got all of this other stuff going on. And and what I mean, are we gaining ground or losing ground? So I mean, really, we would have to go adjust and say, wait a minute, maybe we're not seeing things in the right way here maybe maybe we need to adjust our tactics or whatever uh all these wars you know it's pitiful what's going on over in ukraine uh i mean you know we're on the verge of world war three or but there and and you know what america's leading the charge america's leading the ch- and it's pitiful million worth of more guns for these people to be killed and displaced. And how many families and children and, and orphans are being made for the stupidity of men? Does it not make you angry? It ought to make you angry. These things ought not be. You turn on the news and, you know, we talk about this before. Can you believe a word they say? I mean, Honestly. I mean, do you put all confidence that, that Sleepy Joe is telling you the truth, that, that that you can believe the words of these newscasters? I mean, come on. You, you And, you know, I wonder why we even turn it on. It's like, I know they're lying to me. Why turn it on? But we do it anyway. See what lies are spreading. Then a the church come on, and, and you know, Christian people, and they think, well, maybe God's abandoned us, maybe He's left us or, or, you know, some people say, well, heck with it. We don't have to worry about it. You know, no tribulation for us. We're out of here. So we don't want to take responsibility for anything. The church wants no responsibility. I'll tell you that. I mean, it's not my fault. This goes all the way back to the garden. It's not my fault. It's their fault. I mean, it's the Republicans' fault. It's the Democrats' fault. It's Putin's fault. It's COVID's fault. It's Trump's fault. It's, you the list goes on and on and here we are. Is God mad at us? Is He punishing us? What should we be doing? More prayer, more more prayer meetings. I mean, we've had all that stuff. We've had all that stuff. More prayer chains, another charismatic movement. I mean, how many families do you, do you know that that hasn't been affected and, and, and tore up and destroyed because of drugs? I mean, do you know anybody that that ain't got somebody that's battling somewhere? Diseases? How many people you know that's not battling? I mean, we well, you know we just found out about my aunt battling these these diseases. Cancer, dementia. All, all these other things, you know, and, and, and you know what, I, I, I just loved when we were listening with Curry Blake, I mean, when is the church going to put your foot down and say, I'm sick of this? But we say, oh, well, you know, it's, it's a part of life. I mean, you know, Jesus, he didn't really mean I come that you might have life and that more abundantly, really what he meant was, I'm sorry about your luck, guys. I'll see you in the sweet by and by. I mean, is that what he really came? Because that's the way we act, right? I mean, I mean, we're a country with the greatest riches in the world. We got more suicides. Why is that? Why do we have more suicides in the United States than any other country? Probably all the other countries combined. Why is that? I mean, why is it that, you know, do you remember when little kids was growing up and you would say, you would ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, little boys, I want to be a policeman. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be something like that. Now, if, they, if they're five years old, they say, I want to be a policeman. You're like, hang on a second. We don't want you in that profession because you're going to be targeted. And if you do arrest criminals, caught in the very act, some Lame duck judge is going to let him off the hook, and he'll be home before you are. You know, I mean, and that's that's where we're at. That's where we're at. I heard Friday, and this kind of blows my mind a little bit. It's got nothing to do with anything, that Andrew Cuomo is going to run for governor again in New York. Yeah, he's four points behind in the polls right now. He's making his comeback, claiming he was the victim of of all the circumstances, and he got set up, and he's playing the victim. And you know what? It wouldn't surprise me a bit if he don't win. That family's royalty up there. And and probably uh, Chris will get his $125 million back from CNN. And... It's craziness, isn't it? I mean, we laugh about it. It's craziness. Gas prices, inflation. You know, used to fill my car up for 20 bucks, cost $42. You know, I got a little old bitty Subaru out there. I can imagine trying to fill up a big old truck. Good gosh. But I knew, I mean, it it seems like these times are isolated, and, and and, you know, nobody else has ever been through this. What do we do? But there is. And if you can hear what I'm going to say, and, and I'm just going to be scratching the surface today. And if you can hear this, and if you can get this and understand this. Uh, you know, the freedom from the tyranny of circumstances, happenings. All these things that happen. I mean, what did Jesus say? You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. i got to ask the question, and people quote that scripture all the time. So i got to ask, free from what? And most people can't answer that because they don't even know what they're in bondage to. Or they think, well, it's freedom from the law. Okay, well, guess what, guys? You were never under the bondage of the law anyway. You're Gentiles. Ain't a daggone uh, Jew in here. You were never under the law. So to say you're free from the bondage of the law, you you had that already. What is it you're free from? What is it you need freedom from? You shall know the truth. I want you to hear this word. Truth is, is, you know, I know how we look at truth. and And really, truth is our perception of reality. Right? That's truth. How we see reality. Because that's what truth is. Because if I would... Uh, you know, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. They want you to give your testimony of the version of the circumstances that took place, right? So you witnessed a crime, and and you might have witnessed it from this angle, and they witnessed it from this angle. You tell your version of reality. They tell their your version of reality is truth. And this version of reality, it's truth, just saw from a different perspective. But Jesus comes on and says, guess what? I am the reality. I am the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So in this context, uh, to us, the, the freedom we're looking for is the tyranny of circumstances or the tyranny of the happenings that seem to... Uh, get us all tore up, all of us. Um, Paul in in Colossians says, set your affection, set your mind on things above us. Talked to a guy this morning, and he said his mom told him, said, man, it would be nice if we could stay in that mind all the time. Well, guess what, guys, you're commanded to. See, at one time you were in the bondage of slavery and sin, but now you have been commanded, you've been told, it is now your responsibility to set your mind, set your affections on things above. And if it's not, it's your fault. I'm just going to tell you, people, people want to be babied in the church. Baby is over. You know, it's, it's like when your kid is crying for a bottle and it's like you're eight. I'm not making you a bottle anymore. You don't need the pacifier anymore. It was cute when you were six months old. You're not six months old anymore. You, you understand what I'm saying. The church always wants to, to stay babyfied. And this guy was telling me that this, this lady came to him in the church and said, My two sisters are in terrible shape. She's, she's, she's an elderly lady. She said, My two sisters are in, in terrible shape. And the Lord put it on me to tell you to pray for them. I said, ah, well, I said, that's good. In other words, this lady don't want to take responsibility for praying for two sisters. So because if she prays for two sisters who's in bad shape and nothing happens, well, then she's responsible. So I'll put the burden on you, and I'll say, well, you go pray. Like I said, my hands are off here. I don't want my prayers to go unanswered. You pray. I mean, you're the one. You're the holy one of God. You're the one that has God's ear. You go pray. I'm just going to sit over here. And when nothing happens, I'll say, well, I guess it was your faith. It was your prayer. It was was your fault. I told him, I said, I would have laid my hands on that woman and said, I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to pray for your sisters. Now, have at it. The burden's on you. But see, we don't want that. We don't know the church, they don't, they, don't, they don't want these things. Set your affections on things above. In this letter, Paul says stand fast or stand firm in the Lord. You know, stand fast. That was a, 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 That's a military term, stand fast. It's a term we used in, in the Marine Corps and, you know, it's it's a standing there. Stand firm. You know, does not Paul write in in Ephesians? Having done all, stand. Now here he says, stand fast, stand firm. You know what stand firm is? That means I'm not backing up. I mean, that's what it means. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm I'm here. Something. You know, I'm here till. I, I come to get these results, and I'm not leaving until I get them. Stand firm in the Lord. Now, now that's big. And having done all, stand. The whole armor of God, stand, stand. I think Watchman Nee said sit, walk, stand. I can't remember exactly the order, but it was opposite of normally it would be, you know, sit stand walk but it was the other way but, but he was right on to the order laid out in Ephesians so here it is in this letter that Paul has written to the Ephesians here or to the Philippians freedom from tyranny freedom from circumstances freedom from the happenings And when I say that, I mean, how do people rate their day? Good day or bad day? What makes it a good day? Circumstances, happenings. What makes it a bad day? Circumstances, happenings. So you are in the bondage of whatever circumstances you're in. When you wake up in the morning, the first, you know, people come to God, spill my coffee, it's going to be a terrible day. Burnt to toast. It's going to be a bad day. So here, here's the circumstances. They're already set. And you know what? You're in bondage to that circumstance all day. But he says, if you, if you shall know the truth, the reality, and that will make you free. Free from what? What has got you in bondage? What has got the tyranny of it? When I say the tyranny of it, how many people do you know live in anxiety and worry? Just about everybody. I mean, we're, you know, I mean, we're, we're a big consumer of narcotics and drugs in the United States. And why is that? Because most people, they have anxiety. They have worry. They have, they have all of this stuff going on. Nervous, you know. People call them nerve pills. Right? Have you ever heard that term? Nerve pills. Why, why do people have nerve pills? Because they're nervous. Because I, I, I'm in this circumstance and I can't get out of the circumstance. It's happened to me and, and I wish I could fix the circumstance and I can't fix the circumstance and it just keeps happening. And, it, you know, there we go. Now, when I say freedom from the happenings of life, freedom from the circumstances, freedom from the tyranny of these circumstances, I'm not saying that you can stop the circumstances from happening to you. If that was the case, I'd have to put you on a spaceship and fly you out of here. Because they're going to happen. They're going to come and see, you know, the the church people, they seem to be in the mindset that we can stop the circumstances. Well we can't stop the circumstances. I mean that would be crazy. Just just go and talk and listen to people, how they walk, uh, how, listen to the conversation on any given day. you'll You'll find out that they're in this tyrannical bondage to happenings and circumstances. You know, I find myself, I, I engage in conversation with people. And, and a, a stranger sometimes, Tracy, I always say, well, I can't, do you know them? I was like, never met them in my life. Why in the world are you talking to them? Well, you know, I was working up there at Bluefield the other day. And not long ago when I was working up there, there's, there's, it's near the quarry in Bluefield, if you all know where that is. Railroad tracks over on the back side. And I was working up there and saw a big old bear. And he walked, I mean, you wouldn't expect to see a bear, and he walked across the railroad tracks and walked down past the end of that building. And that building is cold Field something, I can't, it's a big old blue building. You might know where it is. Uh, So I see these guys out there talking, and I said, I'm going to run over and talk to them, you know. I don't know these people, I just walked over and talked to them and said, hey, you know, that end of the building's open down there. I saw a big bear. Y'all ain't never seen a bear around here, have you? And so then we started talking. You know how conversations generally go. This the, a younger guy was sitting there, and he's got a cowboy hat, and he's come out to eat his lunch, and he's got a pistol laying in the seat. And we're just talking. He's talking to this older guy. How long are you to work on a railroad? you do? All this other stuff. Well, the conversation quickly goes politics. Quickly goes there. And I go there a lot of times, too, because it's a good way to bash the Democrats. <laughs> Those crazy people. <laughs> nah, but, and, and, you know, I never say anything. I never contradict, you know, when, when somebody comes. Up. So you're kind of talking. You're just kind of going around. And it's kind of easy to do with this area because this is pretty much a red area. You know, it's, you're going to run into way more. Conservative people than you are liberal people, and you know you can kind of tell well, a guy's carrying a pistol, he's probably pretty conservative. I hope <laughs> uh but and then the conversation goes to you know where it always goes into time and and all that stuff, and don't worry, we're going to be raptured out, and I say, huh i't you know I don't say anything because that's. People become, here they are in bondage to the circumstance, and their way out is, get me out of here. And and never again take responsibility for, I mean, who are you? If If, if the Lord is going to change anything, how's he going to do it? He's going to do it through his body, which is you. I mean, if he's going to lay hands on the sick and heal them, guess whose hands he's going to use? He's going to use his hands. Well, guess what? You belong to him. I don't know if you got a hold of that, but nothing you have anymore is yours. You've been redeemed. You might think, well, I'm going to, this is my hair and I'm going to get a cut. Ah, uh-uh. It don't belong to you anymore. See, we don't realize that. Nothing you have belongs to you anymore. He bought all of you, even the very hairs of your head. He had numbered, and he said, "Oh yeah, man!" And he got all of you. See, we don't we don't get that. It, it seems a uh, uh, something that's way different. Well, you know, the church just doesn't comprehend this. We get caught up in these illusions and these and these lies. Now. There's no question that the New Testament portrays total freedom. Is that not true? Does the New Testament portray liberty and freedom? Total. So if we don't have that, then something is missing, something is lacking, something is amiss. So then the church tries to come in and figure it out. Okay, we need more Holy Spirit. Paul says, you already completed them. That's not it. We need more prayer meetings. No, no, no. That's not it. We need bigger buildings. No, no. That's not it. What is it? I mean... When I say that we have total freedom, that circumstances have no power, should have no power to upset the lives of believers. Now, let me give you an example here. Here's Peter. And Peter is in prison. And they've just cut James's head off, James the lesser. Uh, They've just cut his head off. And Peter's getting ready uh, to have his head cut off. And what's Peter doing in prison? She's asleep. He wasn't even on Facebook asking for prayer. I mean, you would have thought. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was free from the circumstance. It was irrelevant to him. So, the New Testament portrays total freedom. Circumstances have no uh, power to upset the lives of believers. We're supposed to be different than the world. You, you do realize we're supposed to be different. So much so that Peter says they're going to come and ask a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, you won't even have to put it on a billboard or a sign or a text or nothing or Instagram or, or Twitter. They will see something in you that draws them and says, how come you aren't like the world? The world is full is full of They're upset and full of anxiety and trouble and worry. And here you are full of joy and it just doesn't seem to move you. How how can this be? See, but we should understand, and I'll just throw this out there right now. Circumstances are the vehicle of the presence of God and His purpose. The circumstance is the vehicle for the presence of God. Boy, if you can get a hold of that and let that one sink in. And I'll tell you what, that's for me too. I'm still learning that. I'm still learning that. I mean, I forget sometimes. And when I tell you set your affections on things above, that's a that's a commandment. That's not a good idea. That's This is what you need to do every moment in everything. And I forget that thing. I forget that too sometimes. I forget what's going on. And, and you... you it's so easy to look at the ways, as bolsterous as they may seem, and look and think, how could anybody walk on this? How could I walk on this? And it's easy to sink. Easy to sink. And then in these next few weeks, I'm going to say some things that are truth, but I still wrestle with it. You know, some of the, some of the things I, I, I can bring to you, I know because I've lived it. And this is one of these things that I'm living, I'm learning, even as we speak. But I, I, I don't have it. But I know what the Scripture says. It's like Christ in you. I mean, that's truth. Whether you know it or whether you believe that or not, it's, it's irrelevant. It's true. Whether you've experienced it or not. So what I want to do today is kind of lay out the circumstances. Paul's circumstances and how this epistle to the Philippians even came to be. Because it's important to know why would Paul even write, what was the circumstances that prompted him to write these letters, say these words. Now Paul was in a Roman jail when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. You wouldn't think that. These are magnificent words. He's in a Roman jail. Now, you guys know Paul was a Jew. And he's continually harassed by the Jewish people. His own people. I mean, it'd be different if you, you know, went to Australia and they made fun of you. But your own people? Your own family? The people you growed up with? And when I say... And the people that was mocking Paul and, and, and harassing him was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees wasn't idiots. These guys, you know, they knew the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament. And again, it was an issue of freedom. It was an issue of freedom. Same thing today. They, they couldn't see it. That a, that a person didn't have to become a Jew first. He didn't have to submit to all the law of Moses in order to accept the Jewish Messiah. That's what they was going on, wasn't it? I mean, Paul will talk about that in this letter. Because the Jews would come along and they said, now wait a minute. You might come into this and accept Christ, but you've got to come under the law. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to bind yourself to, to the law of Moses. You just can't come in off the street over here. So it's an issue of freedom. So they were believing in Jesus, but they said, if you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to keep the law. I mean, doesn't the church not tell you that today? If you're going to, be, if you're going to come in, I mean, you've got to pass through these Jewish rights. I mean, come on. you just So it's an issue of freedom. Liberty. They didn't get it. They don't get it today. And, and, and I've, I've told you, it's a stone of stumbling. It's a rock of offense. It's shocking that God accepts you. Where does God accept you? How does God accept you? In Jesus Christ. I mean, that's it. Same as he accepted Paul and the other people that is all in Christ Jesus. No place else. He didn't, he's never has or, and never will accept you in your own name in the keeping of the law. You're accepted as you are in the embrace of God. And there begins the miracle of salvation. And they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. So these Pharisees resorted to physical tactics. They followed Paul around. Tried to shred his reputation. I mean, if you want to get people to, I mean, that's the thing you got to do. Isn't that what all the politics is about? It's not my program is different or better than your program. All politics now is what? Shredding somebody's reputation. Now, you think this only has gone on in the last few years with, with all these people and name calling and all that. They was coming behind Paul. They hated Paul worse than they hated Trump. Okay, now just get that in your mindset. Everywhere Paul went, every time he preached, he had CNN reporters right there blasting everything he said. This is a good picture. I mean, that's what was going on. Pretty rough, right? We think we would never seen it. Paul witnessed it all the time. Shredding his reputation. They would say, hey, Paul, you wasn't one of the 12, was you? What you going to do? He wasn't. So see, I mean, anything he said, they said, well, how do you know, Paul? You didn't walk with him. You wasn't there when he fed the 5,000. You wasn't there when he walked on the water. You wasn't there on the Mount of Transfiguration. You wasn't there, Paul, when he hung on the cross. You wasn't there when he raised from the dead, Paul. Tell, I mean, how can you? You don't have any authority, Paul. He's challenging all these things. He said, need I letters of accommodation from you? Everywhere he goes. They, they, they claimed, and I'm just throwing this out there, they would claim Paul didn't really have a vision on the road to Damascus. He fell off his horse, had an epileptic seizure, and he's running around. He's a madman. I mean, you, you think Paul has letters to have people wiped out, falls off his horse, gets up and says, praise Jesus. No, Paul hit his head. He's having some seizure. He's a madman, right? It doesn't happen that way. everywhere he went, they would tell the people, don't listen to a madman like that. They went to destroy his character so nobody would listen to him. Paul called him a thorn in his flesh. Now, these people had their headquarters in Jerusalem, the Pharisees, in the temple. They were a strange bunch, these ones I'm talking about, because they believed Jesus was the Messiah. But they just couldn't see the magnitude of what Jesus came to do and what He accomplished and what He has done. Just like the church today cannot see the magnitude of what He's done, what He came to accomplish. I mean, ask people. I mean, just pose questions to people. If God wanted you in heaven, why did He make you there? I mean, why, why go through all of it? Is this a testing ground? I mean, you know, I've heard people say, this is a testing ground. You got to, you got to, God put us here so that we could prove to him or accept him before we could go to heaven. Well, that's, is that why you had kids? So that they could prove they love you? Well, if that's the case, we all failed. Right? Right? So we don't get the magnitude of what Christ has done. Now, all of this stuff that Paul was going through, it, it came to a head in Jerusalem. And I know we've talked about this before, so I'm just going to kind of skip over it a little bit. But Paul had gone back to Jerusalem, remember his final time to Jerusalem, and they they attacked him physically. You remember they set him up with that Nazarite vow, and, and, and Paul had brought that offering. He thought that... Uh, James would accept the Jews and they would tear down the middle wall of partition and it would all be great. And, and then he got set up. And now they're uh, accusing Paul of turning people away from the temple. Now it's, it's feast time. The people are already in a frenzy. They're ready to turn on anybody who speaks anything against uh, the temple or, or Moses or any of that stuff. And here's Paul. And, man, they go cra- like a mad dog on Paul. They would have torn Paul's arms off and his legs off, pulling on him. And, the, and, you know, the Tower of Antonia is right there. The Roman guards had to come out. The Roman police had to come out and arrest Paul to save Paul's life because they were going to kill him. And then we know the Jews tried to set up a meeting with the governor and they had arranged an assassination while he was going to, to go visit the governor. They had all those guys set up to assassinate Paul. An assassination. I'd say the circumstances is pretty bleak, wouldn't you? Paul goes up to the to Jerusalem to meet with, with the people. It's feast time. He's got this love offering to give to James of the church. And he goes up there. And next thing you know, they're about to pull his arms off. The assassination attempt going on. I mean, it's a pretty bad circumstance. You could say Paul was having a bad day. Paul sees that he's getting nowhere. He's in prison in Caesarea awaiting trial. He's awaiting for the right to speak to the governor, to tell the governor he's done nothing wrong. All he's done is preach that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. The same thing the the, the Pharisees are saying over here. Paul stays in Caesarea two years waiting for the governor to see. You know what the governor was really waiting on? You think the government's corrupt today? They were waiting on a bribe. So they would wait until everybody could get together and give him enough money to go give the governor so that you could be let out of jail. Oh yeah, a bribe. He was waiting on a bribe, two years. Finally, Paul says he's a Roman citizen, and and he appeals to Caesar, which meant he had had enough with local justice. He's he's appealing to what we would call the Supreme Court. He he's he's had it. He's he's going to Washington. He's got a right to do that. Of course, you know you might go to Washington now and get up to the fence. You know you can't really go in there anymore. They took those rights away. But as a Roman. Citizen, you could appeal to Caesar and actually get an audience with the emperor of Rome. Now, it may take you a long time to get this audience, but you could do that. Imagine that you could appeal and have an audience with the president and go up there and make make your peace. See, they had more freedom then than we got now because you can't walk up there and do that now. But you could then. Paul is put on a prison ship and, and headed off to Rome. He gets shipwrecked in the island of Malta. And we know miracles take place, snake bites and, and all that. But he finally ends up in Rome, but not as a free man. He's a prisoner of Rome. Now, they allowed him to stay in his own hired house instead of the jail, but he was chained to a Roman soldier. He had no privacy. Imagine that. Everywhere, everywhere he went, he's chained to a Roman soldier. couldn't go to the bathroom. He's chained to a Roman soldier. So he stays there for two more years. He's awaiting to see Nero. If you know any history, Nero was a terrible tyrant. Nero lit the city of Rome up by burning Christians. His gardens, he set Christians on fire every night and burned them up. He's waiting on him to, to call him to trial. That's pretty rough circumstances. Now, during that two years, Paul wrote Ephesians, he wrote Colossians, he wrote Philemon. And now it's coming to trial. Now we aren't sure if Paul was still in the house or whether he'd been transferred to the prison under the courthouse. It's probably where he was, but... He's telling the Philippians here in these verses, I don't know which way it's going to go. Nero's crazy man. Nero's moody. He might wake up in the morning and, and have a good day and say... Go, be free, little bird. Or he might wake up and say, we're going to pull your arms off. We're going to set you on fire. We're going to cut your head off. You never know what kind of mood Nero's in. It had nothing to do with facts. It had to do with what kind of mood he was in. So Paul says, you know what, guys? I don't know. I don't know what, what Nero's going to do. I mean, I know he doesn't care about me. did doesn't care about the gods. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. Paul didn't know what will happen. He says, whether I go and be with Christ, which is far better. I prefer it, but I guess for your sake, I should should pray not to. Do you get Paul's mindset? I mean, does it sound like Paul is full of anxiety about being in that jail? To go be with Christ is far better, but I guess for your sakes... I mean you would think Paul would be saying, Oh my God, get everybody together. Get get call the Ephesian church. Get them all praying. Get them all praying. We gotta we gotta change the sermon. We gotta have God move on Nero's mind. Paul says, I don't care. It's not bothering me. I'm concerned for the gospel. And I know people say, well, that's Paul. That's who we are. Now, I, I want us to get into the mind of this. It's been four years. He's been a prisoner. And now he's about to stand before Nero for nothing that he's done except preaching the gospel. Religion had put him there. I got a question. You, you think about all this. Just, just a question. When Paul was captured and Paul was arrested in Jerusalem and sent to Caesarea and he stayed there, where was the church? This great apostle. Where was the church? Did the church come to Paul's rescue? I mean, do you ever think about that? I mean, they prayed for Peter. I told you earlier, they prayed for Peter when they found out Peter's in jail, man. They stopped everything. They got together and they prayed. And Peter's, hes the angel comes against Peter out of the prison. Who prayed for Paul? I don't care about Paul. I mean, do you ever think about that? I mean, I want you to get in this situation here. These are his result- own, the Jews, when Peter was in prison, see, Peter was sent to the Jews. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. His own people did not even give a hoot. Paul was in jail. They sent no no money, no bribe, no bribe money. They didn't pray for him, nothing. Where was the church? Didn't care about him. What about James, the, the, the bishop of the church of Jerusalem? Where are you at, James? I mean, do you read in the book of Acts or anywhere where they got together and prayed for him? well? They didn't give a oat. His own people. Now, James, I'm telling you, he was he was he was caught up into legalism. He didn't have the revelation that Paul had. As a matter of fact, James didn't want to touch Paul with a 10 foot pole. I mean, I can see him now. Paul, you got yourself into this mess. You know, you upset the Jewish authority. I tried to warn you and look at you now. So, have at it. James backed off. Paul was alone in Jerusalem. No support, no encouragement from the church. Imagine, no encouragement from the church. He was a prisoner of Rome. He was abandoned by the church. Hated by his own people. And this has been going on for four years. This wasn't some two-week thing. This has been going on for four years. Now, the last few months, while he's here in Rome, they send, uh, the Philippians send a love offering. And they send it by Epaphroditus. They send a love offering. And he comes and he stays with, with Paul. And he comforts Paul, he encourages Paul. And the reason I know they sent a love offering, go read chapter 4 of Philippians, you'll see it. Nobody else communicated with him. I mean, he says that, nobody else communicated with me. But you guys, but you, you sent it by our precious brother, Paphroditus. No, I mean, imagine that, nobody else communicated with me. Imagine Paul, he wrote most of the New Testament. nobody else communicated with me. Pretty rough circumstances. So he's going to stay there with Paul. Then he's going to go back to Philippi with this letter. That's how this letter came about. Uh, Epaphroditus brought news of the congregation in Philippi, and he tells Paul that they're upset. I mean, Paul, you've been in jail for four years. They're upset. They, they their hearts went out to Paul. Really did. I mean, how did they know Paul? Paul was always preaching. He was always on the go. can't be stopped city to city. And now for the last four years, nothing. Sitting in jail. Of course, they didn't realize that the letters Paul would be writing while he was sitting in jail would be uh, read for the next 2,000 years and that many would come to salvation through the letters that Paul has written. But their attitude is now... They're they're very upset, but in a spiritual kind of way. This, in, this imprisonment has set back the gospel. Our, our main spokesman has been silenced. Do you get it? Our number one preacher has been shut down. Rome has, in a sense, silenced the gospel. Rome has put a clamp on it. This shouldn't happen. I mean, if Jesus Christ is really victorious... Paul should be released from jail. He should be bouncing and going from town to town, preaching the gospel everywhere. And and mighty healings and miracles taking place. And the government comes in and shuts it right down. They said, this shouldn't happen. You begin to wonder, is Jesus Christ really Lord? You read in Hebrews you know, we, we don't yet see all things put under his feet. But we see Jesus. I mean, we, you know, people come. Well, if Jesus Christ is really Lord, then why this? I mean, their, their mindset is we should see Paul free. Moving through Rome, the Roman Empire with power, not caged up like a bird. We should see this. This is how the Philippians felt. They said, tell Paul, Epaphroditus, tell Paul when you get there. We're with you, Paul. We feel it too. This isn't right. Right? So they're upset this isn't right. Is that the way that we feel as a church, as a, as a nation that's going on? This isn't right. We feel caged up. Things aren't going right. What is going on here? Is, is Jesus really the victory? What's happening? So Paul writes this letter, man, and this letter answers these very questions. See, this is exciting, isn't it? And it was so important to Paul that he answers this question first of all. Actually, Paul wrote the letter to thank him for the love offering. That's why he wrote the letter. Nobody else communicated with him. I mean, this moved Paul's heart. But he doesn't get to the love offering until four chapters later. For he remembered that. But he, but he answers them this question at the very beginning. He says this. But I would you should understand or know. Brethren that the things which happened to me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. That that word uh, to understand there means to know. I want you to know. I want you to get it. I want you uh, to know and to experience. that That is, I'm telling you this so that you will learn how to handle your circumstances by my circumstances. Okay? That you would learn to handle your circumstances by the very circumstances Paul is in. Now this is the thing. I mean, you could go back and look when Paul in his conversion. Show him what great things he must suffer uh, for my name's sake. So Paul is suffering all of these things not because of punishment so that you would learn to handle your circumstances the way Paul handled his circumstances. He says what I'm telling you is not merely what is happening to me. I'm telling you in order that you can order your life. That you can order your circumstances. Imagine that. That you could order your life, you could order your circumstances. Paul is telling them this is going to be a teaching experience. I want you to know, I want you to be instructed, I want, I want you to come into your own experience. That my experience has turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite of what you would think. You would think they silenced the gospel. You would think they put it down. You would think they would stop the churches. You would think the churches would die out. You would think it would all go away. They stopped it. Paul says, uh And what Paul says here some of the most dramatic, radical words that he's ever said anywhere. Now, he says this same thing doctrinally in, in Ephesians. He lays it out there as a simple fact. But, but here, he, he's, he's up to his eyeballs in, in trouble. Right? He's up to his He's got no prophecy. He's being ill-treated. And, and now he, he writes. Now, let me go back to the NAS here, New American Standard. It says something here in verse 13. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Now I know you may not have that and it's, is that 13? Okay. Uh, Here it would say, so that in my bonds for the cause of Christ. It's in italics. You know what in italics means? It means the translator didn't understand what it was so they added words in there. To try to bring out their interpretation. So they thought it was for the cause of Christ. Now, this is not what Paul says. He says, so that my bonds, and look at that little phrase right there in Christ. In Christ. He's saying that my imprisonment, if you can get a hold of this, and I'm just going to touch on it a little bit here, and we'll go into more depth next week. He says that my imprisonment is in, in Christ. Now, listen, that's radical. He's written this before as doctrine, but now he's got a, a chain on his wrist. And he says, I mean, the chain says Rome on it but Paul says my bondage is in my bonds are in Christ now I want you to get a a picture of this he's not saying I'm the bond servant of Jesus this is bigger than that now you know he says I'm in you and you're in me now we get the picture of him in us but what about the picture of you in him it's way bigger It's way, way bigger. I'm going to tell you what Paul said here, and we'll go into the depths next week. Paul says these chains are swallowed up in Christ. The Roman guard is swallowed up in Christ. As a matter of fact, a Roman prison is swallowed up in Christ. As a matter of fact, the entire Roman Empire has been swallowed up in Christ. As a matter of fact, the universe and all the kingdoms have been swallowed up in Christ. There's only one, and His name is Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm in Him. And you think these changes got me. See, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't get a hold of that. Paul got it. He said these bonds are in Christ. You've got to have the Old Testament background. What I mean, you remember Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the Scriptures. Scripture is Old Testament. He was steeped in the Old Testament. He knew it. He's full of, full of the Old Testament. And, he, and Paul updates it in, into Christ. Now, the Old Testament revelation of God, which essentially begins in Deuteronomy where it states, the Lord our God is one. Guys, that means there is no other. You know, I asked the person the other day, what does that verse mean? He says, well, he's the first of many. You know, the Lord God is one. He's got a pre- the preempts, And then, then there's the number two God, and number three God, and number four God, and number, you know, you're going down the line. No. To a Hebrew, when you said one, that meant that was it. There is no other. Now think about that. Not one among many. It means there is no other. God says, "Don't even think of having other gods before me. There should be no other gods before me." Why? Because there is none. I mean, He's not saying, "Well, well this is a law, and if you try to bring another." He said, "Is that stupid? There is none. How could you bring another god before me when there is no such thing as another god? It's something you made up. I mean, He called the other gods dumb." I mean I mean they're just graven images carved out. I mean you're gonna tell me a tree there used to be a tree and you carved a face in it and you wanna call this Dagon? I mean, come on, get real. I mean I laugh at these stupid things. You took a rock and painted a smiley face on it, and now you set it up as a god. Right? I mean it's it's foolish. He says, I am the Lord, besides me there is no other, no other gods. Now the prophets mock the other gods, and, and you know, I mean, they're all illusions, they're, there's nothing there, there's only one God. Now this is, it's shocking. God is God alone. He has no opposite. Do you know, the devil is not the opposite of God. I mean, we know God is one, but we also know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But yet, there's there's only one. Not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It means there is no other. And Satan is not the opposite of God. Satan would be the opposite of Gabriel or Michael or an angel. But not God. There's no other God. If there's no other God, there's no other tangible kingdom other than His kingdom. So everything else that you see or you think you see is all illusions. It's all lies because there's only, how many gods? One. It means that no nation can set itself up against God and win. Can't. Because there's only one God. All nations, all kingdoms bow to Him whether they like it or not. And all the gods of men are nothing but illusions, nothing but lies. So where does this ideal of other gods come from? The, the great lie, all the way back in the garden. That independently of God, you'll, you'll be God. And this separation thinking is Satan's wisdom. And guys, that, he calls it the wisdom of this world. That's what's going on right now. That's why we think it's okay for this man to swim as a woman and be rewarded. We think it's okay to teach 4 and 5 year olds to be gays and lesbians. We think that's a, we we think it's okay to go to war and and starve everybody and do all of these other stupid. We think that because we think it's a bunch of little gods here and separation and and and, and all of this other stuff that uh See, it's still in our head. It's in our head. Ask any Christian, where is God? Up in heaven. Where are you? I'm here. Where are they? Over there. Where's the devil? Down there. Separation. Right? That's what we see. Separation everywhere. So God is up there. I'm over here. This is my kingdom. I'm the little God in my kingdom. And I'm the charge here in my little kingdom. Then I look at you and I figure you're God in your little kingdom and you're over there. And I'm watching you because you seem to be getting more powerful and more controlling. You're coming towards me and you're going to try to take over my kingdom. So we have kingdom against kingdom. We have little God against little God here. All the time, God is over there. So it's the ideal of separation. So we got a mess going on. It's the wisdom of Satan. We split up the universe. I'm here. You're there. God's there. devil's there. Everyone's separate. All the little gods. All the little kingdoms. It's all an illusion. It's all a lie. And I'm telling you, you know, there used to be a song, uh, we built this city on rock and roll. They built this city on lies. They built it all on lies. The nations are built on lies. Because there's only one that is swallowed up in Christ Jesus. Do you, can you get a hold of that? The Lord our God is one. And it's all swallowed up in Christ Jesus. And if it's all swallowed up in Christ. Now these circumstances, these happenings. Paul says, have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. Many brethren, in verse 14, in the Lord waxing confident, my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul understood that even though, and I'll say it this way. Even though they meant it for evil, and I'm going to close right here. I know I'm going over my time because it's just laying the foundation. Even though they meant it for evil, God meant it for good. God meant it for good. And I want to tell you this, just something for you to think about. Jesus, and we'll go into this more next week. Jesus is brought before Pilate. And Pilate is asked the question, what is the truth? What is the reality? What is, you know, what is it? I don't know. Truth is standing right before him. And, and he makes this statement. He says, don't you know, Jesus, that I have the power, I have the authority to have you crucified? I have the authority to let you go. I have the authority. I'm God here. What I say goes. You know, that's what Biden and all of them thinks. I'm God here. What I say goes. If I say, cut them off, do this and do that. And you know what Jesus said? You have no authority except it was given you from my Father. Do you, I mean, do you just get a hold of that? All of this stuff that is going on, all of these circumstances that's happening, that we think is happening to us, that we think has power over us, is nothing but a vehicle for the presence of God to come into the situation and manifest Himself in the situation. And where is He at? He's in you. And he needs to be in this situation, as Paul says, for the furtherance of the gospel. That many other brethren may wax bold in his bonds. Now see, this is just absolutely contrary to the way the church wants it. We want easy peasy, as Morgan says, lemon and squeezy. And we don't want any responsibility. Get me out of here. But Paul says, my bonds here is for the furtherance of the gospel that many other brethren could wax bold. I mean, what's he tell us? Stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord. Have he done all stand? And I'm telling you, in all of these situations that's going on right now, I'm going to give you the same words that Paul did. Stand firm in the Lord. Now I can't give you the one, two, threes because in this, it's going to be between you and the Lord to pray of how He's going to manifest Himself in the situation you're in and situations that I'm in. That's between you and Him. There is no ABCs, one, two, threes, this way or that way. So so what do you do? Set your affection. Set your mind on the Lord. I'll I'll pose this to you and I'm going to. Ask yourself this question. With all the stuff that's going on, and I, to me I see it as one big thing. With all the uh, the schools, the gas prices, everything that I see crumbling, I ask, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you at? Watch the plan here. Now I may not see it, but I know they mean it for evil. They mean it for destruction. But I know He will bring it to good. Are you confident of this thing? Because if not, I've got to ask you, who's your Lord? And what has He done? Now see, that changes me from worry in the middle of my circumstance to expectation. It changes me from anxiety to hope. Now what is hope? Christ in you is that hope. That he is Lord, and you know you can't say Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. You got to see and know he's Lord. And Paul says, "My bonds, they're not from Rome. Rome has no power over me. This is for the furtherance of the gospel. This is so that you can wax bold in my bonds." That's what's going on here, guys. A mighty revealing of God. So we need to, we need to be looking. I'm going to quit with that. Amen.